GM, GM friends, you are now listening to the DJ Aussie Apes, bringing you another weekly session all things crypto and NFTs. Let's go. It's the money. GM, GM guys. GM indeed. That GM. was tough. <laughs> Struggling with that intro. But it's not about me today, it's about bringing you guys plenty of value and we are super excited because I love this. We have the enjoyer of goat ideas, the soul sink keeper of souls. I mean, Mitch uh, from Soulbiz, thank you so much for coming on. I know our listeners are going to be thinking, what's all that? But guys, you're in for a treat because we're going to be discussing a few things we haven't talked about before. So Mitch, thanks for taking the time to uh, come to HQ today, man. That's awesome. Uh, really big fan of your guys' podcast. Oh, thank you yeah. so much. You know, it's always nice to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Much appreciated. It's, uh, yeah, really cool to have you on. Um, you know, I sure don't know why he's excited. John's super excited. You know, other DJs sitting here at the table. I just have to get the big elephant out of the room, and I'm sure you guys agree to this. Wasi, your beard, I can't, I can't just, you know. You um, can't let it go, can you? I can't let it go because I feel I just need to clear this quickly before I get serious. So um, for everyone listening, Wasi had a mishap outside of the shower, shaving the bridge of his beard, which connects his moustache to his beard. And we've got a now, what is it? Just um, a hair light across uh, your jaw That's from it. ear to ear. It's the best I could do without shaving it all off, man. Well, see, sometimes you got to learn when to take the L, when to sell your bags at a loss. <laughs> and I think it's just worth, uh, yeah, just uh, not financial advice, obviously. I think just, you know. What you're looking at right now is the second last stop loss, right? <laughs> so so we're, there's only one direction from here. But thank you, boys. And I'm sure our listeners. Uh, but with that out of the way, Mitch, let's, you know, we usually start off like, where did it all begin? You know, where did the journey happen? Because, you know, it's, it's easy when you get this far into it to f- kind of, you know, forget those early days. So... When was the first time you heard about Bitcoin? Yeah, for, for sure. And it's um it's a fun question. And I like starting this question with conversations in crypto because everyone has a unique spin on it. I guess like I first discovered Bitcoin and um, sort of left it aside when I was playing World of Warcraft as a kid. There was a whole bunch of gold farmers and they were selling gold for Bitcoin, you know. But I realistically got into Bitcoin in like 2017. Uh, sort of like my background prior to um, discovering cryptocurrency and blockchain was in um, political, um, social sciences and macroeconomics, these sorts of things, understanding economic theory through time. So it sort of gave me this really awesome lens to jump straight in um, and understand the nuances, the differences between Bitcoin's protocol and Ethereum and the incentive structures and those sorts of things. So worked at a think tank for a little bit, discovered Bitcoin, um, realized that this is sort of the thing that will change the world and dove straight in was a trader for a couple years realistically learned so many lessons um there like paying my tuition to the market meeting a few amazing people going to different meetups um in sydney really networked with value aligned affinity people um and the the community was was pretty small back then um however there was a lot of energy and and activity back then so so i guess that's that's when i first discovered bitcoin and um i was mostly on the side um to begin with as a as a trader still doing my normal thing and trying to make money other ways but um, very soon realized that it was the, the industry for me, so looked for a job in one of the early Bitcoin blockchain crypto startups um, in Australia and was fortunate enough to, to sort of... Um, How long meet. were you there? Yeah, so I, I guess like it took me about 
a year of getting to know people. And like, I think one of the really cool things about crypto, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have um, experienced this directly is you can kind of like in this industry, everyone is so open that you can jump straight into a, like a, a group chat or a telegram channel or a, or a, a podcast or a podcast or like a discord nowadays and almost get direct access to the founders, like ask them real questions. And, and I think that that was really the, the thing that got me fully into this space was back in 2017, it was a bit of an ICO era and everyone was launching their own tokens and stuff like that. And, and you I, didn't have access to where those decisions were being made or what product was being developed. And Exactly. And I was curious because I was, I was being an investor at the time. Um, so, so what I did was I just like got involved in those communities and started asking the hard questions and that sort of like experience in political economy gave me the lens to be like, hey, you guys... Um, you say that you're doing like an incentive mechanism, but based on this like economic model, it's going to fail in a few years. Like you're, you're stuffing everything up. What's going care on? To, care to comment about that? Exactly. <laughs> and then, and then um, these guys then start opening DMs with me and asking me more questions and I, I provide more information on how I'm thinking about their project and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it just seemed very natural to me. And I think that the, how inviting and open these communities were to get that feedback from the beginning um, that's that's really empowered a lot of people in the industry. So I guess just like as a side note, if you're if you're interested in getting into this space more and, and want to make it a, a real thing, then it just open up and make yourself vulnerable to some of these startups and founders and, and people building the space because... Yeah, um, I've found that as well. Like just like you said, CEOs, people who you think would never reply to you or DM you, you know, like it's always just an open door a lot of the time. And if you're asking the right questions, it's very easy to get access to some really awesome people in the space. So... Fully echo that sentiment. We're here to help each other out peer-to-peer. That's That culture really rings through. The first job that I had was at a startup called Brontech or Bron AD, um, and that was in 2018. Mm-hmm. And what we were trying to do is build a, like a decentralised um, identity or like a decentralised... In the business world, right? Like, yeah, in the business world. Like mm-hmm. a, um, it, it, well, the first product that we, we tried to, to ship was actually like a data dignity platform. And, and this sort of will lead on in later in the conversation when mm-hmm. I start talking about soulbound tokens. Um, but the data dignity platform was this ability for people to aggregate their, their social logins and some of their data that back in 2018, there was the whole thing around GDPR and people taking possession back of their data. And we thought it would be a good idea to give people a platform of which use decentralized technology in order to aggregate that data and then reward them. Do you guys all use MyGov here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example of by the time it reaches mass adoption, do you know what I mean? And it's still the adoption. I, don't, I actually haven't heard any updates on how, you yeah, know, yeah. how many Australians actually use MyGov, which is all about identity. Exactly. And, and it's like when MyGov starts to use um, decentralized technologies, then, then we're really getting somewhere with mm. the, that whole trajectory. But yeah, MyGov is a great example of an identity system that could mature into using Soulbound tokens in the future, actually. So, so yeah, we tried to do that, but then we realized, um, and this is a sort of common startup story, that we didn't have um, too good a product market fit because we were facing consumers. It was difficult to sell this and it was difficult to incentivize people to actually get onto the platform. Um, so we had to pivot the business like any good business does. And we, we moved to doing um, KYC, AML and, and CTF compliance work for, for businesses and financial service providers. And then Of course, um, based on the background and experience and knowledge in crypto, I was very easily moved into selling to most of the major exchanges in Australia, um, an identity service and compliance solution. And that gave me access to a lot of the sort of exchange owners internationally, nationally, 
um, and a bit of insight into the way that liquidity works um, in the exchange world. And, and it was, of course, very interesting. Um, the I'm, events of the last I'm year. I'm so glad you brought up liquidity because we were talking about it off air downstairs and there's all these projects and a lot of hungry people trying to really passionate about this space. And they try and launch a project without, you know, even understanding simple things like tokenomics and liquidity, which you just mentioned just casually. And I just wanted to make sure our audience, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't gone out there and studied something and, and you're interested in crypto, liquidity is the way understand. to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just on that as well, like what kind of lessons did you learn like from that experience, like with liquidity, you know, because... You know, liquidity was kind of behind the collapse of FTX, right? Like they were basically stealing user deposits and they didn't have the, the money for people to withdraw. So, well, they, yeah, they yeah. were creating an illusion of like a hyper liquid environment when mm -hmm. really what they were doing is just rehypothecating the funds in order to show trade flows um, mm -hmm. and move that around. So, yeah, you're right. It was like really a, a liquidity problem mm -hmm. um, at, the, at the heart of it, but it was a transparency around where that came from, um, mm -hmm. which, which was it. So, um, yeah, so just to quickly circle back, pivoted into doing AML CTF, understood liquidity, um, COVID hit, moved on from that business. And I was, I, I guess I was fortunate enough through my networks working there um, to have an investor be interested in starting a digital currency exchange. Um, so I then co-founded a, a digital currency exchange in Australia. Um, it was That's called, awesome. Yeah, it was called Oz Merchant. And um, what we were doing to begin with was OTC, so over-the-counter trading. Um, our target market was high net worth individuals and then um, business owners. Um, so the, the product was split into two core offerings. One was the sort of digital currency exchange OTC settlement flow, um, which is where I really understood liquidity and the movement of money and um, actually how difficult um, and low liquidity the Australian dollar had back in 2019 like not many people realize really? yeah yeah like um, I know that these these are big numbers um, but when you're talking about like large block trades it's actually not too large like in, a, in Australia the OTC like you you often experienced around two percent slippage the moment you went over 250 grand back in like which is a lot when when you're talking about these like block trades and trying to make a business out of OTC um, managing those flows and like asking multiple exchanges for their quotes and prices on on those things um, you really sort of understood that the Australian ecosystem was um, largely immature on the liquidity game and relied on these like international larger firms like the likes of FTX and Binance in order to source its trading and um, yeah it gave you this sort of inside track into into the industry which was super interesting um, yeah Oz Merchant was a um, OTC and then the other end was a blockchain back office accounting solution which allowed businesses to accept crypto as payment it, it read the blockchain and then provided similar to zero it provided an Australian dollar cost basis of all the transactions that flowed through your wallet um, but allowed for you to invoice in Aussie dollars and receive the crypto and then we would do the OTC um, or let them hold on to the crypto if the, the merchant was was game yeah, so, so that was a whole experience, um, two and a half years, um, worked on that. And then um, at the start of last year, I guess Oz Merchant was a bit of a canary in the coal mine for the exchange game. I sort of recognised that um, the whole space was sort of imploding on it on itself. Um, liquidity was hard. I learned a lot of lessons in the Oz Merchant um, in terms of how to price and how to build a exchange-based product. Like we were really at the mercy of the market. Um, with our product see in your scenario in the story i'm just listening to your story if regulation had to come in it might it might have helped you because you guys were ogs you, you were already doing it you know but then yeah. without regulation or, or way to identify and actually take it to the next level it just wasn't a good business model anymore correct and and yeah that's actually really really accurate because um the, the way that i i built the system at oz merchant is we actually had a 
um, sort of a um, segregation of funds. So each user, in the same way that like you have a deposit address when you send money to an exchange, um, we had a unique address for holding the money as well. So there's, um, I guess, like as well, we, we might have our users do a bit of a Google, but um, there's this thing called an omnibus account. And an omnibus account is where when money comes into an exchange, it's deposited into one wallet, but then it all mixes in the same account. And then it's just a matter of matching the withdrawals and the deposits. And this is what FTX used. Mm. Um, but the problem with FTX is they had an omnibus where Alameda had access to it, um, which meant that Alameda was then able to rehypothecate access to that omnibus account, which was customer funds, but then oh. make their, their trading. Whereas what I had built with Ozmerchant, and it's really like really accurate what you said with the if regulation was there, we, we actually had that segregation of funds built in because we relied on that unique wallet per user for the accounting system to work. Of course. Because I needed the blockchain's mm. transactions in order to convert the transactions into Aussie dollars so people could do their accounting um, when they accepted crypto as payment. So yeah, who cool. That, so that was a fork in the road. So now, yeah. you know, tell us about the, the second fork that you're on now. Yeah, so so I guess like at the start of last year, Vitalik posted his um, Soulbound blog post and, and that really got my, my head turning because it is this really amazing confluence of the specific interest and knowledge that I've been working on. Like it, it's this identity piece with the, the startup that I was working, Bron ID prior, combined with the sort of crypto and the, the value piece and the blockchain piece with the exchange and then of course all of the various investments and trading that I'd been doing. Um, so Soulbound recognized like it was this opportunity where the identity knowledge and the identity um, systems that I knew needed to be in Web3. Like um, just a, I see value as like really being taking form in two ways. Capital, mm -hmm. like capital-based value. It's like our, our services, like our, um, our products, our properties. Um, but there's also reputation value. Um, and, and the best example is like me sitting here right now. Like I didn't have to stake anything. I didn't have to put any ETH in an escrow contract in order to get into the into the um, podcast room with you guys. It was my reputation that got me here. And similarly, it was your guys' reputation that brought me here. Um, and that, that's not collateralized, but it is also represented value in our society. So, so how do we get that into an on-chain environment? Um, and really, Soulbound Tokens recognizes or is that, in my opinion, substrate to start doing those things. Now, there's like all sorts of privacy problems and, and I'm sure we're going to get into that in a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, I was transfixed by that in the whole closing down the um, exchange business. Like that went for a little while, but... I realized that Soulbound Tokens was the piece that I wanted to stay working on. So fortunately, I actually, um, I'd been speaking to my current co-founder now, um, Joey, about Soulbound Tokens just out of interest. Um, it's a funny story how we how we met, actually. He wanted, um, he was working at an identity service provider, I think two years ago, and he wanted my business as an exchange. Um, so he came to me and he was just like, hey, um, I know you're an exchange. I, I work for Frankie One. They're a, like a reg tech company. Um, I'd like to have you as a client. And I was just like, hey, mate, um, the identity solution I'm using, I, I kind of helped build that. So it's going to be really hard to convert me over. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, so so instead I said, but you're a really interesting guy. Um, I feel there's, there's something here for us to explore. Some synergy. Yeah, so yeah. Let's, let's go out to dinner and um, yeah, then... A year and a half later, we've started a business together. And um, yeah, we, we had really started talking and, and actually independently doing presentations and sort of like um, media around Soulbound Tokens. So you're both evangelizing. You, you had synergy in, in what it could be and, and you're yeah. excited and you had the same 
You know? we, we almost, yeah, we almost had a very similar vision and then it just made sense for us to join forces and come together. So yeah, I did a quick stint at a decentralized exchange as an advisor for a little bit, but then realized that um, I was a, like an entrepreneur. I had to like run my own business and, and that was that was a quick thing. And yeah, founded Solbius with, with Joey in August last year. Um, and the, the initial purpose of Solbius was like we were recognizing throughout the year that trust was being broken in the space. Um, there was a whole bunch of, this was like post-Luna, post-3AC, um, pre um, FSR, the writing on the wall with FTX happening and the contagion happening. But yeah, trust was breaking. Um, so, so the space needed a new um, either technology or a new environment or a new community in order to build trust back. And, and for me, proof of reserves is not good enough. Um, so we needed something better. Um, Solvent Tokens, in my opinion, repre represents that opportunity um, for us to start building this reputation system into what I like to call the internet of value, which is just a mix of a whole bunch of blockchains. Let's um, jump back for a sec because yeah, I think yeah. you glossed over a massive point. You co-founded a crypto exchange. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't say OG lightly. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that's what I, that's crazy. So just, you know, in terms of the entrepreneurship background, like walk us through, like what was your biggest lesson or takeaway from that? Because this is mm. probably the the only time we might ever have like a co-founder of a crypto oh, exchange on the podcast. I I said it's a big one, guys. Yeah, yeah. Just walk us through, like, what was your takeaway from that? Because the lessons you would have learned, the stress you would have been under, like, just everything. Like, I feel like yeah, you're a very humble guy to just kind of casually just slip yeah. that into the conversation. <laughs> I think like the biggest lesson wouldn't necessarily be unique to exchange people who run exchanges, but just like first-time founders generally is people over capital every day of the week, like. Um, money is passing, money moves, money is like you can access it or you can raise money or you can make it yourself, but people matter like and, and, and people create value. So realistically, working with someone who's a long-term minded person is way more important than someone who has access to money. And, and, and I think that that sort of rings true for, for most first-time founders is um, especially ones who, who go through um, sort of like a, a difficult closure of business is that they they do realize that it's like you're, you're signing up to almost like a marriage here. Like it's a, it's a minimum five-year term for, for you to actually get an exit on any real startup. So just, yeah, make sure you prioritize people. Another thing as well that, that I learned was um, just because things are, are going amazing at the, at, at the moment doesn't mean you should grow too quickly. Like uh, one of the... That is so spot on. Yeah, like a, one of the, the mistakes that... And like I still have a little bit of a soft spot for this one. Um, like we grew from five people. Like it, the business started with just the two of us and um, for six months we were like, like hyper profitable because it was only two people. We then hired another four people and it started to, to still really, really good. But then we, we grew to 15. And, and I think that was too much expansion Ambitious. too quickly. Mm. Um, the and overheads it, just start to tear you up. Yeah, it was not only the overhead, but it was also the time. Mm. Um, like, I mean, not many people, especially like it was around two years ago. Um, like, it was difficult to hire. It's difficult to hire in this industry, right? Like, um, anyone that I hired, I often had to spend like a month on education just to make sure that they were doing the right things with the crypto view, right? Um, or like with a like a blockchain view, or people don't understand private key management and, and these sorts of things because they haven't accessed that at all um, in their life. So yeah, like we grew all that energy instead of you focusing on, on running the, the core business, business exactly. you've, you're now, and that's why a lot of people hate management roles. Like yeah. uh, it's funny, I'm going through an uh, experience right now where I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm interviewing people. Mm -hmm. And that just uh, neon light just keeps going. Uh, 
I need to spend the next eight, nine weeks with this person. Yeah. Mm. You know, can exactly. I can I find someone who's just going to click or at least the onboarding's two weeks? But you yeah, know, but then it doubles up because you're detracting from the business, but then they're also getting paid as well. You know what I mean? So you're eating the cost. It's a twice. double whammy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just quickly, sorry, off topic. Do you have any interviews coming up in the next two weeks? I do. Why? Go to the party shop and buy one of those fake moustaches. Stick it on. I swear, I can't wait to put socials up. Oh, oh, Lucky you're my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, kind of Sorry, circling we back. Go ahead, John. That's all good. Mm. Circling back to, uh, I guess, what soulbound tokens are, because yeah, you know, sure. I'm sure most of our audience, like I, I read through Vitalik's blog, and it's at a very very high IQ kind of takes to kind of follow everything that he's saying. Walk us through like what is, if you're explaining to someone who's never heard of crypto before, right? Let's just dial it all the way back. Sure. What is a soulbound token? So I guess like the, the easiest way to explain a soulbound token would be this sort of reputation layer. Um, or if you don't want to use the word layer, like a like a repu- reputation token in a way. Um, and reputation can like be, take form in many ways. So it can be a badge, like uh, an achievement. Like, say, for example, um, I killed the hardest boss on Mythic in in a dungeon um, and I receive a particular item. Like, that item should be unique and possessed and controlled by me, but it, it shouldn't be transferable to a friend. Like, I shouldn't be able to give them the reputation for killing the boss if I was the one to do it, right? Mm. Um, so that's a really sort of core example of where soulbound tokens, I think, will fit, especially in the early stages, is being these sort of, like, flags or signals mm. of achievements or actions or... Um, arrangements or deals or um, sort of identity attributes for people. Um, now, I guess, like, if we want to get a little bit more complex, there, there is already identity systems in society, right? Like, we, we already have our mobile number, we have our email address, we have our, um, like, passport, which is... Photo ID. Photo ID, like... Um, I think like th- there's there's plenty and there's, there are so many and um, part of the, the opportunity of Soulbound Tokens is you can actually build a, a system where they're more composable. So, so you'd be able to aggregate all of these identity attributes um, to one soul wallet or one soul. Um, and then I can pick and choose the data from all of these various documents or achievements or whatever, compose it into a token and share it with any sort of person that wants to trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in a, so, so realistically, to put it as a one-liner, it's um, to represent trust in an on-chain environment. I love that. And I love the example of the achievement from a video game as well because it's only when you use that example do you get people who understand it, right? Like if you say Bitcoin is like a distribution distributed peer-to-peer ledger they're not going to understand it but if you say it's a poker game and everyone's keeping score of each other you give that some kind of metaphor like that i think that really helps build trust and people know what it's like to kind of have a group setting and everyone's keeping each other accountable so i think that's always a better explanation so yeah yeah. i was um i was uh, thinking about generations right so that was a great example uh, metaphor for gamers right now for your average person who's not into blockchain i mean let's talk a couple couple of use cases yeah. certificates diplomas yeah right like you University just work so hard to achieve something mm-hmm. and this is proof that you've done it Correct. Uh, i think people can relate to that and i think fast forward even more if your identity you know your soul is is in the digital landscape wouldn't you want to control it 
how do you avoid scams? How do you do uh, all that sort of stuff as well? I think uh, SBTs are going to be very relevant there. What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the in, in terms of controlling your data and, and, and this um, sort of as a term um, has been coined by one of the authors of the Soulbound to- um, token paper, Finding Web3 Soul, Glenn Weil. It's called Data Dignity. And data dignity is this um, sort of concept where you are sort of self, a self-sovereign person um, and you have the ability to sort of take possession and control of your data. And that is valuable, like especially with this whole AI wave, guys. Like mm. data is valuable. And right now and to date, um, realistically, there's been a data octopus in the world. There are a few major sort of aggregators and servers and, and things like that that possess a lot of the big data of the world. And, and they've kind of got the keys to AI here. Mm. Um, so what data dignity allows, and, and this is sort of through the various sort of melting pot of technologies that will be soulbound tokens at one point in the future, what it allows is, is for you to take control of that data and then you to nominate how you monetize it. So the octopus is in front of you and you're blocking its tentacles, Exactly, right? That's right. Exactly. All of its tentacles are no longer, no longer in and instead the octopus has to pay you for access to... A particular data set and Thanks. like uh, like if i want to be fully private i wouldn't make any money off my data but but maybe i need um a little bit of money and i'm okay to share my like social media tweets um as an anonymized data set with people let's zoom in there for a sec sure. because loans loans can work the same way so so we've done the whole certificate you've you've achieved something here's an sbt to, uh, you've you've borrowed before and you've paid it on time yeah then you maybe you don't have to submit such a large application. It Absolutely. Comes, comes, that soul has paid before. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that it comes from one sort of a soul wallet or a group of wallets or accounts means that you're able to build this reputation over time. Mm. And the more you build this reputation over time, uh, the stronger it gets, the less trust-based activities you're going to have to do. Which brings up the roll-ups, ZK roll-ups will come into yeah. it as well, I think, because that's the whole concept is you don't need to know all my details. I've got a score or whatever. Yeah, so credit scores is a massive use case. And like um, sort of the Solbis as a company, what we are is um, a research and advisory firm. Mm. Um, so we do sort of consultancy work on supporting people in integrating digital asset technology, so like infrastructure. And then we do research and development around Soulbound tokens and then support. So, so credit scores is, as, as you were mentioning, that's that's one of the critical ones that everyone always comes to is is how do we make this credit score and um, I just want to put one thing out into the ether to make sure that um, anyone listening like it shouldn't be one score guys like it has to be lots of different scores and it has to be scores that you can choose and or you can accept as a score so so let's move away from the one score thing because that will be a that always problem. gets brought up it's like oh my like your what's it called in well, the, the credit, social credit score exactly, like in China right? yeah. Yeah, yeah well that's a big thing I mean you know we privacy I feel there's a lot of risks um, but there's like a lot of pros and cons to it like you know will governments have control of your travel or going into facilities privacy me as a degen wallets getting marked i mean from a privacy front do you feel there is a common ground here will there be a line that's towed in regards to soulbound tokens because could anyone in a sense mark your wallet yeah so it's a it's a, a great question actually and that's why related to the feature you told us downstairs go ahead yeah yeah absolutely um so that's that's actually why I'm super keen. I'm also a big privacy advocate. Yeah. Um, so I want to be part of these conversations so we make sure that the technology develops in the right direction, right? Uh, 
one of the current token standards for Soulbound tokens. So there's a few, there's around 10 EIPs at the moment. Um, one of them that's been accepted is called a consensual Soulbound token. And that's uh, sort of does this thing where um, it avoids dusting of wallets, where if someone wants to issue a Soulbound token or a credential to you, you then have to go into your wallet to accept it. You have to accept it. Mm. Yeah. That's so important. So And, and that stops things like scarlet letters. And, and scarlet letters are very dangerous in, in our society because mm. um, it can... It, it, negative reputation has like power of 10 of positive reputation mm. so like if you if you have one negative score against your name you often have to like do 10 things in order to sort of make that back that's just the way our society works unfortunately but well also fortunately i, I don't know it works um <laughs> most of the time yeah for sure <laughs> not very user-friendly but it works <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i mean it's a, um, but you, you mentioned something earlier on the like zk roll-ups mm. um and i think that that's sort of why soulbound tokens right now is getting a lot of attention because we're getting closer to zero-knowledge technology. So, so there's a bit of a difference between a ZK roll-up and a zero-knowledge proof. Roll-up's used by like optimism and it's used for efficiency and, and blockchain stuff. But a, a zero-knowledge proof, is it, it's it's very, very relevant to Soulbound tokens and we're getting close to that technology being ready, um, at least in some iterations, like generation one, version one. Um, and a zero-knowledge proof is where you're actually able to um, prove something is true without sharing the underlying data. Now, that that's so cool when, when we're talking talking about like soulbound tokens right like it, it gets to one of the old identity problems that's, that's sort of a use case an example that shared every identity conference i've ever been to but the bartender problem where like you want to go and buy a drink and in order to buy a drink you have to share your identity document with the bartender now all of a sudden the bartender knows your full name they know your date of birth where all they really needed to know was you're over the age of 18 in australia they have your address they have your document number they have your license like obviously in physical in the physical world, that's fine. Like, they just glance over it. They don't take notice to those things unless they have a photographic memory. You're pretty okay. But we've moved to digital environments for the last 20 years and we're still using those systems and that, that data is safe. Um, and that data makes people vulnerable the more it is. Look at all, how many hacks places. every week. It'll help exactly. prevent fraud. I feel like when you were talking before about what you guys were doing, like, you're so early. Do you know what I mean? You're so <laughs> early then and I feel like everything's sort of aligning now. Yeah. Uh, do you still feel yeah, that we're early, early for this? Is there a lack of education of people just not understanding? Because I think once you truly understand this, I mean, it's a great solution uh, for society moving forward. Yeah, so, so I think there are, there are two aspects to that are we too early question with soulbound tokens. One is, are we too early to experiment just in case the negative effects of soulbound tokens being put into the world becomes like this snowball effect? Do we need to make sure that zero-knowledge proof technology is ready and in place first before we start doing soulbound token stuff to make sure that like people don't get exploited in countries or jurisdictions that don't have nearly as fair procedures and stuff like that? So that's one too early question. Um, and I think that that's why we need to continue to do a bit of research and be really, really like accurate with our implementation and probably start with just a novel gamer use case like I was saying before where like we get a whole bunch of gamers who kill bosses and get soulbound tokens and achievement badges and stay a little bit away from the important identity mm -hmm. document stuff mm -hmm. at least for the time being. The other too early question um, that it comes down to is like currently a lot of the market attention is around speculation and making money right flipping NFTs going long on Bitcoin, going long on ETH, these sorts of things. Now, a Soulbound token is, like, very hard to commercialize. Like, you can't make money off it, right? You make money off 
sort of having a high reputation which gets you access to things but really this is a utility for the whole ecosystem to leverage it comes from that more like business institutional side where traditionally in crypto like it's always been bottom up which is what i love about it right like nfts was brought mm. brought into place by the dgens like crypto was brought into place by the cypherpunks like these grassroots movements but when it comes to soulbound tokens and these like identity um sort of su substrate that we're trying to build it's really it's going to have to lead from the institutions because these are the guys who have the data at the moment. Um, so, so that's another is it too early question. Or is that question like, is that how institutions actually finally get into this space and feel comfortable doing that? Mm. Does it bring that adoption? That's a big if. Yeah. Across. Yeah. But I feel there's such a convergence of so many technologies coming together. Like we're seeing massive, uh, like a huge wave of AI and stuff, you know, and I feel that people don't know what's coming and things will be here quicker before you know it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, I've been surprised, like we... When we first started Solbius, um, pre Chat GPT, I guess you should kind of make that <laughs> distinction. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, hopefully one day I'll be quoted by Chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, when we first started Solbius, like um, Joey and I spoke, and we, we had this um, sort of hypothesis that we're going to have to find ways to make money from just digital asset infrastructure, protocol level staking. NFT, crypto advice, and these sorts of things to make ends meet while we do research and development in the Soulbound token mm. space. And that thesis was like it would take about a year. Well, we're here today. It's nine months later since we started the business and we've already landed three clients for Soulbound token stuff and done research and development for, for only six months. Yeah. Well done. That's a, that's a win. Yeah, it's a huge win. Because you don't want to deviate too much from... You know. effect. <laughs> um. I did just want to ask, in terms of... Um, there's a few projects which are kind of exploring like on-chain identity. So you have Proof of Humanity and the UBI token. I think there's one called Bright ID as well. I'm sure yep. you're more familiar, more familiar with them than I am. But what are your thoughts at a high level of what these projects are doing right and the strides that they're making and what could be improved? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, actually. So I think like um, what's interesting about this problem is that we have to approach it from like a few different angles and that's going to require a few different projects. So like um, Proof of Humanity is awesome because it solves this like civil resistance problem in like a blockchain environment. Like we can actually prove that human um, and it's like a, it's a clubhouse effect. It's like one person vouches for another person, vouches for another person, vouches for another person. So there is this trust chain involved yeah. in proof of humanity so so it's important but i think that it, like the way that i see it is proof of humanity is just one soulbound token on someone's whole soul wallet where if they need to interact with a certain other person or entity or whatever they will use their proof of humanity soulbound token compose it and then share that information saying that i am a real human on chain and then you've got bright id which sort of does that in a different way where they're able to aggregate like a, a identity attribute from like a passport or a um, like a driver's license or something like that, but then also aggregate a whole bunch of other indicators that builds this strength of identity in, in Bright ID over time. So, so I actually, I, I think that we're going to need a lot of projects like this mm -hmm. and they're going to have to talk to each other um, and then build some sort of system where the person can be self-sovereign and nominate which identity um, wallet or project they need for what needs in their life, right? You know what I just thought of? We're talking about that. I just watched uh, the movie with Will Smith, AI. Is it? Yeah, anyway, that needs to happen on blockchain before it happens in real life. Like, how are you going to know that AI on the blockchain is not human? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's the first frontier for that sort of stuff is there's so many bots we all 
you know, personally, I use bots every day yeah, yeah. in the blockchain totally. world. And now you were talking about it. I was like, well, communicating to another human is going to be difficult. Do you yes, envision yeah. a future where, say, you jump on a Zoom meeting, you've actually signed a wallet to prove that you're real for the next 30 minutes? Like, do you think we're going to get <laughs> that dystopian? Because already we're seeing videos of people like, you know, faking like the deep yeah, stuff. Yeah, Donald Trump and Joe Biden playing Elon a game Musk of Call of Duty. Yeah, Elon mm. Musk as well. And they're already being used for scams, but it's only a matter of time before that technology becomes so mainstream that we could even edit a version of the DGN or the Apes podcast and just have us all AI, right? And mm-hmm. a, a certain percentage of the population is always going to be fooled and you're going to need that verification. Do you so do you think that the prop that you know AI will grow that exponentially, that this will be a problem that people will face on a day to day basis? Yeah, I think so. And and I think with that, um, just to sort of take the flip side of this um, as well, it's it's not only important proving that you're a human, it's also um, important that the bots and the AI prove that they are bots and AI, right? Like, mm. at one stage in the future, we want to be able to pay these bots and AI themselves. Like, so then they are their own sort of computer-based entity that runs their own things because that actually appeals more to a decentralized system than having one institution or entity controlling all of the AI bots. Well, they need to have IDs just like us. Exactly. So, But there will mm. be a different type of ID. Mm. They'll have different access and like there'll be uniqueness to the human ID, which is because we are humans, right? But they will need an ID to interact. So I think that that's like an interesting comment on there. And, and also like another piece um, that you were mentioning with like signing in to prove that you're a human on a, a Zoom call or signing signatures saying that yeah this is me that was saying those things yeah i think that that's just going to become second nature you'll you'll have a wallet of which will be attached to either your phone or to some sort of computer that you'll just have to sign or maybe i all i need to do is send a soulbound token to that zoom account and then that zoom account has a zero knowledge proof saying that i am who i say i am and i can log in and people can check that that Solvound token's on chain and improve Do you ever take a step back and think like, you know, a lot of people don't even understand what Bitcoin is or what the blockchain is. Like my dad asked me the other day, are they going to shut down Bitcoin? And then we're talking about Solbound tokens and all this kind of <laughs> high level stuff. Like, you know, when it comes back to the too early question, do you think that the barrier for people to understand these kind of implications would just be too high? And you're going to have, you know, I think we've actually seen, even though everyone's on their phone all the time, people actually like people don't know how to run a command line. People don't know how to do some of these basic kind of things. So when you start using these ter- this terminology, like Solbound token, zero knowledge mm-hmm. proof, do you think that even like the younger generation aren't going to be able to adopt this technology or like, the UX is going to be too complicated and they're just not going to go with it? Like, what are your thoughts on yeah, kind of that prediction? And um, it's, a, it's a hard question as well because when you're stuck in the weeds all day in like amongst people who like talking about these things, it is often you do get lost in the forest, right? Like, But I also think that like we need people like us to do that so then people don't need to worry about understanding these things but they can trust the fact that um, informed people made decisions for them on the development of this technology so then in 15 years' time when their kids start growing up, then they they will be naturally adopting this technology. Like the best kind of mass adoption is when people don't even know that it's a soulbound token, right? It's mm. it's it's just something that is on an app of which they're using and it helps them get something that they want. That it's as simple as that. What you're just saying there, we know like, you know, the psychological effects of people, like, you know, if you look at tyranny for example, it's three generations before that's flushed out. And I just sort of think like, you know, a lot of people like are just, especially my generations, I, I have friends that think, you know, your phone's the mark of the beast. Now tell them about soulbound tokens and they're like, <laughs> that's it, Jesus is coming. Yeah, yeah. It's going to take time, but we are getting forced to this point. Like deep fakes and all these type of things are scary realities that are here before we know it. Well, what are deep fakes going to be like in a year? 
Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's accelerating your business, an, which this is, is a necessity. <laughs> oh man, kudos to you guys. Very, very well, smart. Well, here's a plot idea. for uh, for an AI generated uh, script for a movie that we can all do as soon as we sign off today. Tell us. AI has been unleashed, and it's the it's the dragon, right? And SBTs are the knight in the shining armor that will come <laughs> and save yeah, the world. Yeah, you like that? You like that? Well, <laughs> on, the, on, on the opposite Adding side. Adding the human to AI. Uh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Whilst we all get on those dragons and fly whilst he falls over and, you know, doesn't just again. Goatee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, soulbound tokens could be in the same way that, you know, stable coins and now you've got central bank digital currencies, right? And it yeah. might end up being, you know, like you go to spend money and it says, sorry, you can't spend that money on, you know, uh, the transaction gets frozen or something like that. Do you see the implications of soulbound tokens being adopted by governor, governance and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tyranny like basically? Negative, like negative, yeah, negative implication. Ne- yeah, negative reputation. Like, do you see yeah, that happening? Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on can that like risk be mitigated from now? Absolutely. Are you like fighting? You actively fighting against that with Solbiz? Yeah, yeah. So so that's a really good question actually, and it's something we think about a lot. Um, so negative reputation, like it needs to happen in society because otherwise we don't get progress and we don't um, realize that people have done the wrong thing and move on from that. But it is also important to be able to forget, right? Yeah. Like forget. Forgetting things or the right to be forgotten is super important to progress in society as well, right? Like I was explaining it earlier on in, in um, this conversation that my digital currency exchange that I decided to close it ended up really well. Like uh, I closed it fine and, and those sorts of things. But if, if things went wrong as an entrepreneur, I, like it was, a, it was a mini failure. That was that was a business that went down. And if that had negative reputation ramifications for me, then... Solbis may not have... Well, it's unfair, to, exactly. be, to be fair. You know, are we, are we the person we were five years ago, ten years ago? You Correct. know, we all make mistakes. Well, tell but that to course, Do Kwon and SBF, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, let's take it to an extreme. Murderers, pedophiles. Like, I don't want to go there, but, but it's relevant because it then is. can you easily turn that into discrimination? And, right. and that's it. You made one mistake in your life. And because of the system, well, you're done. Well, we're talking about an immutable ledger here, mate. Like, yeah. that, that thing's, that data is going to live longer than me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's like, uh, that's a huge question. And, and it's a really important question. And, and we're discussing it very heavily like mm. in the development with all of the sort of developers around the EIPs. Sort of the think tank work that we're, we're doing um, is trying to create systems where um, negative reputation is present and it's important, but it isn't sort of compounding towards a dystopian outcome. Yeah, for sure. Just dialing it back to some of the more basic properties of what defines a soulbound token, has it been defined what exactly it is or is it still up for discussion and debate? Yeah, so the, the original definition was um, non-transferable, equally revocable, um, publicly visible token. Now, that definition is a little bit problematic because publicly visible probably shouldn't be the case in Generation 2. Revocable shouldn't be exclusive. It should also be recoverable. Um, so there's like this problem where if it's revocable, then realistically we're just using like the same traditional centralized system where someone issues a credential to you and they have the power to remove it at their own discretion. Whereas for some of these things, we want to be able to have self-sovereign control of it and recover, if we lose it, recover it using our friends and family or connections or whatever mm. um, to ourselves. They're probably the two pieces around the definition. So the definition was originally posted in the Finding Web 3 Soul paper yep. um, by Glenn Whale, Pujol Haven um, and Vitalik. Mm-hmm. And that was in May last year. That was published. Um, and then... 
what we actually did as a part of Begin, which is um, Blockchain Governance Initiative Network, we wrote a study paper. Uh, there was, I think, around 50 contributors. It was crazy. We had 1,500 uh, comments on that wow. paper, 50 contributors. Nice. Um, and it turned out to be 104 pages. It was the most involved paper that this think tank has ever produced. I'm excited to read it. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's yes. an office. My God, like going through all of those comments, people are just like, they're interested. They, they, they care about this. So yeah, that in that paper, that study report, we proposed that we adjust the definition to include things like recoverability and possibly publicly visible rather than just pub publicly visible. So your the data in your passport and stuff in a soulbound token would never really be visible, mm. but it's the fact that it exists on chain, like that's the public visibility part. Got that, it. Okay. So they wouldn't see the content anyway. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. hopefully, optimistically, <laughs> like if anyone's putting PII data on chain, I think that we should have a serious discussion and, yeah. and maybe um, try and stop them from doing that because mm. it's a problem. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, what do you think in terms of like the the response to soulbound tokens? Because when the Bitcoin wiper, white paper came out, it was still like a very niche, like very small community, yeah, right? Uh, and then, you know, when DeFi and NFTs, it took a bit of time in order to pick up adoption, but it sounded like soulbound tokens from day one. Everyone was ready to basically show up and start, you know, like contributing and adding ideas and even institutional demand for it and like discussion around it. It seems like it's just really, uh, yeah, been very strong from day one. Like, do, do you think that's a good indicator? Do you think it's like a sign of maturity of the crypto industry? Or do you think we still have a long way to go? Like, a, I guess I'm a little bit surprised um, by that comment because like I, I'm so into the Soulbound token space, right? That like it just seems like it is there and, mm. and it's present. But I don't actually know if like the mainstream or other parts of the industry are paying attention to Soulbound tokens truly. Like I can't assess that too well because I'm just too, too in. So, so that, yeah, thank you. I think that that's, that's really interesting that it's sort of caught on that much. I, I guess part of the difference is that the timing around this technology suddenly being announced and available it just solved so many of the problems that the builders in the space had been experiencing for two years like um, problems around DAO governance mm. like that's that's a huge problem space that like it became very very prevalent everyone realized that governance tokens just not a thing and what soulbound tokens can do is they can actually do this really cool thing where you're able to split the governance rights for governance tokens. So then when we start experimenting soulbound tokens in these sort of business models that were trying to build themselves two, three years prior, they're like, oh, wow, this technology could actually help make my thing work. Can I ask you a question about the three clients you mentioned? Estimated go live for an SBT-backed solution, are they live yet or is it something yeah. you're helping them with? Are they live already? So so one of them, one of the clients, um, and, we, and we really love Verita, they've just launched their sort of wallet, Verita One, and that's a um, decentralized identity wallet allows for you to aggregate your sort of socials and then mint soulbound tokens, which is proof of that. So they are currently in beta and they're just launching to mainnet um, very, very soon. Um, so they're currently in the sort of test environment on the Gory testnet. So, so we're starting to see the first soulbound tokens being minted on test environment just with your sort of progress of when the first mints have happened. The first mints have happened, but they've been super experimental, just like these little novel applications. Like the first SBT that we ever minted at Solbius was um, using a, a thing called Sticky Notes. And it was just Joey. He sent me a sticky note with like a love heart um, to my wallet, oh, um, which is like very super sweet. Cute. Yeah, it was, it was the first um, ETH 2.0. Um, SBT, which, really? um, yeah, yeah, we tried to, like, we were there when the merge happened and we were like, well, if anyone's going to mint the first SBT, we should, um, on, on 2.0, we should do that. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really sick. Well, just That's a great idea. jumping over to kind of ordinals as well, we kind of brought it up briefly off air, mm. but do you think there's some kind of possibility of ordinals and soulbound tokens or is the infrastructure on Bitcoin just too archaic? To yeah, I'd say less it? so. I think Bitcoin um, doesn't care about reputation nearly as much as Ethereum does. Mm. Like Ethereum has more complex um, relationships in the transactions and smart contracts and these sorts of things. So it does rely on additional data in order to do those, like, like perform those functions that Ethereum wants to do. Um, whereas Bitcoin, I think that's less so important. I think that Bitcoin is want to stay anonymous. Exactly. With the maxis, they really don't care about yeah. their soul being, uh, you know, identified. Well, yeah, and it, there is definitely a place to talk about using the Bitcoin blockchain for identity solutions or for sort of decentralized identifiers because the Bitcoin blockchain is really the most secure in the world, right? Like, so you can actually rely on that thing's going to exist. And like, if we need to store something immutably, um, then maybe we'll use the Bitcoin block space for that. But I don't think it takes the form of a soulbound token. That's a very, very good um, yeah. projection. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm super interested in the ordinal piece though, like because um, it creates this like divergence, in my opinion, on what block space is valuable, right? Like mm. the Bitcoin block space, like it, it, it's, it used to be really valuable when people were sending transactions all the time, but then stable coins came in and it, it just sort of, it, lost its um, demand for block space on Bitcoin and Bitcoin was just still used for its normal like one-to-one wallet transfers. But then uh, add to that the serialization, which means it, you, you even know the exact order mm-hmm. of the, that, that takes it to a next level. Exactly. And it, it's like, it, it creates this new medium for NFTs almost to have this archival hyper trusted and immutable because mm. like the difference really between an nft on ethereum and an ordinal on bitcoin it isn't too great but it's the nature of the blockchain like you you can just trust the fact that bitcoin's going to develop slower you, you can trust the fact that bitcoin's going to stay on the proof of work consensus mechanism um, which means that realistically in, unless we run out of energy on earth like that thing is going to sit and be data available on the bitcoin blockchain for people to see forever whereas um, ethereum changes Ethereum's a bit more mutable. Um, it's not like, obviously, it's slow and it's like the second biggest and most secure currency uh, or blockchain-based system in the world, but like they moved to proof of stake um, and that, that changes the environment. There's going to be the purge where old archival blockchain data gets mm. removed or like archived. So, so just knowing that your NFT or ordinal always be available, you probably want to do Bitcoin for that. But then again, like Ethereum is still, that's where it, it all started. So um, I see it as layers. I would say like if you want the truly historic version and you're there for the memorabilia side of things, ordinals, but like if you're there for the NFT and the sort of interoperability and the, the utility and the potential and the community-based systems. You can look at them as layers yeah, or exactly. you can look at them as planets. Mm. And we're, we have the luxury of going to all different planets, my friend. Well, I just think yeah. as well with all this stuff from NFTs, ordinals, cryptos, we've seen so many people get wrecked. Mm-hmm. It's always mm-hmm. do your own research. You know, we have our ordinals and, you know, that was done through an NFT, through an artist. We weren't paying, you know, thousands and thousands of BTC for, you know, or dollars in BTC for an ordinal. So guys, really just, you know, uh, take the time out to do your due diligence because, you know, it's all fantastic. And I'm a huge believer in, you know, three things, Bitcoin, ETH and APE. 
and now SBTs, which I'm really <laughs> excited about. Mitch, generally before we wrap up, um, we always like to ask the question on mental health. Um, it's been a rough market for quite a while and we've had, seen things, you know, we talked a bit about FTX and we've seen a lot of things happen that wrecked people like we never thought would happen before. Do you have any tips and tricks on, you know, some mental health on what you do and you yeah. know, how you get through hard times? It's been a work in progress, this one. Um, as an entrepreneur, you go through like a lot of roller coasters and um, you have to really work at it. And I guess like one of the the big lessons out of last year. So last year was one of the more difficult years of my life. Um, lost an exchange, long term relationship ended. Um, and one of the, the big mental health tricks I realized was that I, I, I just wasn't taking care of like my physical health in terms of creating regular patterns of things of which got me to escape from behind the computer or behind whatever thought. Um, in the space or business that I was doing at the time. So um, I got back into going to the gym. Another like helpful hint is um, I go to the sauna like two, three times a week and I actually combine saunering with breathing exercises and um, like a little bit of meditation. That for me is like a way for my mind to completely unwind, escape what I'm thinking about. And then I often come out of the sauna and I like go back to what I was working on prior and it's like this brilliant new idea um, mm. around it. So I think that just like allow for yourself and like give yourself the liberty in order to like health is always super important so if there's a healthy habit of which you can maintain like going to the gym going to the sauna going for a long walk during the day or like having like half an hour of, of doing things just trying to make those things habits because they're your anchors um and and like as an entrepreneur i'm like all over the place all the time and it's like a in crypto you're it's a borderless country a borderless um currency right so like i'm often up at 2 a.m talking to people in america i'm often like so so my my life's pretty sporadic so i do need these sort of like anchors in order to keep my sort of mental really on track and comfortable and confident. So one of those anchors is going to the gym. Another one is um, having that sauna um, session. When you go to the gym, uh, yeah. are you listening to something? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's music. It's ten, it tends to be music. Sometimes I listen to, to podcasts, Future Nate podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> get, nice. get you guys with a the plug there. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's good to take time as well. Like, you know, like I sometimes drive as well. Like I'll just not listen to a podcast because you need that breathing room, right? Yeah. Like if you're working, when I asked you, do you work full time for Solbiz? You're like, it's more like 24 seven, right? Like yeah, yeah. you need that downtime away from the markets, away from your phone. So yeah, that's some really good alpha there when you just listen to music or just go in the sauna and just silence right and give your mind Unplugged. space to think i go for yeah. hikes to do the same thing like i i, I have um a couple people that are like a regular hikers with me and once a month we, we go on a, like a little bit of a walk and it's kind of like a no phone thing um where all we're doing is going for a walk so it's yeah it's just uh, creating non-technical um anchors i think is is Great my biggest advice. yeah i yeah. love it so good i love it well guys there you have it i mean mitch from soul biz you know guys we talk so much on the dj aussie apes podcast about whether it's memes flipping nfts all this fun dj stuff but it's when you sit down and discuss things like soulbound tokens it truly shows you how this technology is life-changing and the benefits that it can bring to your life so thanks so much man for taking the time out because this is like the passion for me it's when i sit here and listen to things like this so we definitely man would love to have you on again because i know we're going to get a bunch of comments from people and say you know bring mitch back guys we will put all the socials up there you know make sure you follow Solbiz, make sure you follow mitch we'll put the twitters instagrams linkedin's it will all be there thanks for listening to the dj aussie apes and we'll catch you guys soon